0: Entering the Freedom Hut.
1: AOC thinks that young people know more stuff than old people. We'll get into that. And also, MSNBC runs a massive fake news story that they're now going to have to retract. Why does the media keep getting it wrong? Oh, I know. Trump derangement syndrome. And Bill de Blasio is considering shutting down a program for excellent public school students. We'll get into why. Coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. Buck Sexton.
0: Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence.
2: One small thing. Make no mistake. America, Great. You're a great American. Again.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate.
3: Former CIA analyst.
0: Former member of NYPD.
2: Think
3: I can speak for three
1: hours without a phone call? Try doing that sometime.
4: It is Buck Sexton. Now.
1: Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Wednesday, August 28th. Live from NYC. I will tell you, I did forget how uh, crowded this place was, how expensive this place was, how noisy this place was. Those of you that count your square footage in your homes in four digits and uh, actually have room to breathe and walk around and do things like that, can own a car and it's not some crazy luxury. Consider yourselves blessed my friends but i do i do like it here as crazy as it is and i can already tell that the uh, the summer it is coming to an end my friends i hope this weekend you've got some excellent barbecue planned it's gonna say some celebration of freedom but that's that's technically fourth of july but it should be every weekend it's like here in the freedom Hut, we celebrate it all the time you know we, we never we never have an off day when it comes to our love for freedom here on the buck Sexton Show. Um, I will note this. There's uh, There are two stories that are dominating the uh, media right now. One of them is uh, the hurricane possibility. Uh, I, I do not, has it, I don't think it's made, it, oh, I'm sorry. It has hit Vir- the Virgin Islands and, and uh, has hit some Puerto Rico. We don't know how bad. So you've got on the one hand, and I just have nothing to, add to this other than i hope everybody's okay and they're prepared and you know it's hurricane season and this is what happens in that part of the world unfortunately so that's on the one on the one side and then the other one is the back and forth over is there going to be a recession which i've just realized now is this is a game that the media plays with us. you know the the market goes up oh we're going to be fine and the market goes down oh there's going to be a recession and they have all these different people weighing in and this is what you call a slow news cycle when the journos are on vacation all of a sudden we keep hearing the same things, but different versions of them over and over. OK, so we have time to dig into a few different things here. What is the just the, the preparation, uh, the preparation that we see ongoing for what is going to be the most intense? I do think that is fair. The most intense presidential battle of my lifetime. I think that's pretty clearly going to be the case i mean libs have completely and utterly lost it and i don't know if they can if trump's already broken so many millions of them psychologically i don't know how they could handle four more years of that level of emotional debasement i don't know if they could deal with it but i don't know how they can get crazier i guess there's always room for an enhanced level of crazy but i think that's where we are And then also the ideas that you're going to hear discussed going forward, the kind of things that people are going to be talking about on the Democrat side are just wildly either inaccurate, false, exaggerated. And that brings me to uh, the Green New Deal. I mean, there is a hurricane going on right now. That means we're going to hear about climate change and how climate change is the cause of more hurricanes even though that's not true there aren't more hurricanes and we went a long time without any hurricanes making landfall in the u.s it was a record but there's bad weather it's climate change there's uh, a migration problem it's climate change i mean this has become the answer that libs give for everything and they don't have any substance behind it but they know that it's an answer that their their comrades will applaud Yeah, that's right. If you say notice how you will you will never hear a lib. Get uh, agitated with somebody for whatever it is they claim climate change has done, you can do that and you will never get in trouble. No lib will say to you, well, hold on. I mean, that's that's too much. I mean, that's, you know, Donald Trump being a bad environmentalist or, you know, anti environmentalist president that that hasn't caused. The rain that just happened. Oh, no, they'll say that, it. you know, it, that's fine. It doesn't matter how divorced from the facts, how completely unrealistic it is. You can say anything is the fault of climate change and libs will nod their heads in agreement or at least fail to correct you. And AOC, who is the the young. Vanguard, the young ideological, uh, not just heir. she really is moving the party these days and she is the most powerful figure from a media perspective in the democrat controlled house of representatives you could argue she's more powerful as a media figure than even nancy pelosi or chuck schumer and the stuff she says and gets all these young people and it's really it's troubling i don't understand i was 25 once wasn't that long ago and i wasn't a blathering idiot I can understand when somebody was saying things that were absurd. And AOC last night did one of her, you know, hey, I'm just going to like do a video from home and it's going to be all so authentic and I'm just hanging with my fans. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people watching this thing. And it was mind boggling. It was a reminder of the Democratic Party that we face ahead of us. It was also a reminder that if we can't find some middle ground with them that's not really our fault. We didn't get crazy in the last few years. They're the ones that decided that they were just going to throw all connection to reality out the window and and double down on things like the green new deal which is is an abject absurdity. How absurd? Okay. Okay. Here's uh, here's some of the absurdity.
4: You think. Overhauling our economy to decarbonize and save the planet is going to be expensive. Try not decarbonizing our economy and allowing sea levels to rise, every coastal city to go underwater, every Midwestern city or large swaths of the middle of the country experiencing drought on a level that we have not seen. Um, That's going to be way more expensive. You think uh, artificially having to create our food supply because the earth and the earth no longer can sustain growing foods naturally or the sun is scorching the earth so much that we can't grow the foods that we used to be able to grow, that's going to be a lot more expensive. So we need to bite the bullet on the cost because the alternative to not spending the money is A, death, and B, spending even more money.
1: This is the voice of the modern Democratic Party. This is what they offer. They say that Trump is so terrible, and then they put forward people like this, who say things that are just idiotic. Droughts in the middle of the country, coastal cities underwater. This is crazy. What is she talking about? I'm here in New York City. We're a coastal city. Manhattan is an island it's basically at sea level. Do you think you're getting great deals right now on property because the no, you think there's, they're, they're believing this with the way they spend their dollars? Of course not. No one really believes this crap. How does she say this out loud and not feel like an idiot? And I, I, re- I mean this. I, I don't understand. This is this is irrational. This is like sitting around saying the world is going to end tomorrow and expecting people to listen to you and make decisions. I mean, she's really just talking about lighting trillions of dollars on fire. Just destroy, and really letting it on fire in the sense that you're just destroying productivity, destroying wealth. Destroying it. Based on a superstition. This is a superstition. That there will be cities underwater. And, uh, yeah, there might be cities underwater in 500 years. At that point, the cities will be able to float you know, up in the air. Who knows? We don't know. We can't make policy judgments based on this kind of stuff. I mean, I was watching last night. She was doing this. I guess it was uh, Instagram Live. I was watching it, and it was—it was just like being a, an alien from another planet. I had arrived here. I said, "What is going on?" Here's more of this. You know, she's terrified, and she's telling impressionable, unfortunately, very under or ill-educated youth because that's who you know. Her base is like twenty-two-year-old woke. Foolish snowflake libs. That's who likes AOC. That's like I mean that's her base, right? I mean she's beloved by Democrats across the country for a whole bunch of reasons. All the identity politics crowd loves her. The you know you know equal pay feminist left loves her. I mean they they all love her, right? Because of just who she is. Not that she's done anything. Just who she is. And then she says things like this, and I I would want to ask my Democrat friends who keep trying to tell me. Donald Trump is unacceptable and Donald Trump is, you know, this and that. Okay. Um, how is this acceptable?
4: How can we save the climate? I'm trying to have a nice life. I understand this completely, obviously. Um, I even while I was on vacation, I woke up in the middle of the night at the in the morning um, just concerned about climate change. I um, am 29 years old. I really struggle sometimes with the idea of how to be a policymaker and potentially have a family in the time of climate change. And it really like freaks me out and it can be really, really scary. Um, we are kind of blowing past a lot of the markers that scientists thought would happen years from now. And they're actually happen- happening now. Our glaciers are melting, our sea levels are rising and um, I'm scared. Sometimes, too, about the world that I'm going to be living in, that we're all going to be living in. Um, I sometimes fear what we're going to be living with when I'm 40, 50, 60 years old.
1: This is an incredible, I mean, a tour de force monologue that brings together fear and idiocy all at once. She is telling the world. I mean, this was broadcast on her social media. She has millions of social media followers. She's a sitting member of Congress, folks, and the most influential on a policy level of anybody, forget within her age group. She, she tweets, it's, it's a national news story. She says anything, it's a national news story. She is telling you. She is openly letting it be known that she wakes up terrified at the, you know, in the wee hours of the morning, terrified because of climate change. She worries about the future, worries about having children because of climate change. She lives in fear because of this and then says that we've blown past all these markers. No. See, I've been around for 37 years and I remember this conversation when Al Gore was trying to sell his crap movie. that made hundreds of millions of dollars. What It was a great con. It was. I mean, the fraud was very successful. But we were told then it was 10 years. Guess what? That was over 10 years ago. Now here we are. And you know what? Everything's fine. In fact, fewer people are dying from natural disasters. Fewer people are dying from drought. Fewer people are dying from famine. The world is markedly better on all of the scores that you could look at as a metric now than it was when Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth came out. In, what was it? 2005 or six? Everything is actually getting better and safer. We have more food. We have more electricity. We have more. It th- things are improving. But that's not the story that climate change catastrophists want to tell. So what do they do? They terrify children in their beds with stories about how the world is going to be underwater. Unless what? Unless they're in charge of everything. They can tell you what to eat. What you can do with your home. What kind of business you can run how you get to your business, what kind of car you can own, how you light your home, everything. If you're not willing to concede all of your freedoms to them, you want the entire world to end. This is insanity, institutionalized. And it's also Ocasio-Cortez, someone who has a tremendous amount of power right now in this country. it, It troubles me that any thinking human being hears this stuff and does not laugh and does not dismiss it right away. I saw the numbers, huge numbers of, of particularly young people watching on Instagram as AOC is doing this monologuing about the world. And she's just poisoning their minds. She's poisoning their minds with fear and idiocy. But that's kind of the Democrat slogan for 2020. We'll be right back.
4: Is the new generation too delicate? No, I don't think they're too delicate at all. I think that um, they're badass. I think young people are more informed and dynamic than, than their predecessors. Um, I think that they are more sensitive in a positive way in that they actually care about other people's experiences and lives and one thing that i love so much about this new generation is the radical acceptance um that i see from so many
1: yeah like i think they're like smarter the young people especially the ones watching this broadcast on my phone are like smarter than their predecessors based on what and i assume she means we're at their at that same age otherwise i mean i can tell you this generally speaking people learn more and get wiser as they get older it is a true thing i am wiser and older now than i was 10 years ago that's obvious and i think i'll be wiser and older in 10 more years pretty sure about the second part AUC rejects this. Why? Because wisdom and knowledge are things that she doesn't really feel are particularly useful or necessary. Certainly not necessary. She doesn't have either. And look where she is. She doesn't seem to think that there's that much of a usefulness for it either because, you know, knowledge and facts and math and things gets in the way of saying crazy stuff that will emotionally appeal to emotionally stunted and fragile libs. Tell them things about how, you know, they they are the ones that will save the world because they're in favor of tackling climate change. This is just absurdity. It's absurdity dressed up with the kind of phrases that even Beto O'Rourke, you would think, would realize it's just pandering. It's just nonsense. We'll get we'll get. Oh, don't worry. We'll get to Beto later. I'm not yet done with Beto. I, I want i want better to drop out it's not going to happen because the left is still so obsessed with him but their their obsession is I mean, the leftist media i should say they, they never really seem to have a, a wind at his back of popular support we'll also uh, talk a bit more about the china trade deal thing We'll have my friend uh derek scissors joining from aei he just the guy's really smart on trade all he does is look at china trade deal trade policy all day and Listening to that saying, we know more about this. Most people on TV are saying, oh, you know, the Dow is up today. It's because things are looking good for China. And then tomorrow the Dow will be down. They're saying, oh, the Dow was down today because there's a lot of uncertainty with China. Guess what tomorrow is going to be? W- whatever it is, they're going to tell you that it's because of China. I got a feel like with the markets, that's what's going to happen. We got more.
3: A source close to Deutsche Bank has told me that the Trump, Donald Trump's loan documents there show. That he has cosigners that 's how he was able to obtain those loans, and that the cosigners
1: are Russian oligarchs oh my gosh what a scoop from from MSNBC they finally got the president cornered Russian oligarchs cosigning for loans well, this would be exactly the kind of financial leverage that they've been saying all along they had over president trump my friends what are we going to do what if all along it was true the russians did have trump in their pocket oh just kidding the whole story was fake (laughs) oh ms to the nbc man MSNBC coming through with Lawrence O'Donnell last night. It is crazy stuff. They They now have had to have him come out and say it. Well, MSNBC's Lawrence O'Donnell admits to quote, "error in judgment on thinly sourced Trump's story. I shouldn't have reported it. It turns out it was even thinner than thin. It was it was uh, it was transparent and translucently thin. In fact, producer Mike tells me that even Rachel Maddow, when it was first reported, because they did the whole handoff on the show, looked like she was like, uh, well, she's she's been burned a few times with over promising on Trump and two years of over promising on Russia collusion. But this is uh, one of those moments where you would say, hold on, what what do you call it? What do you call it when the media, when people that have massive platforms, tremendous resources, producers and lawyers and fact checkers and all this difference, they have all this infrastructure around them to, to prevent exactly what we saw last night on MSNBC. But it happens anyway. Why is that? Well, first, what do we call it? We know what we call it. We call it fake news. What else could you call going with a single sourced allegation of this kind, which it would be a bombshell. This would look really bad, right? If, if, if the president was having Russian oligarchs co-sign on loans for him, especially depending on the timing and you know, was it during or near the election, you know, this could be a real problem for the president. Uh, but it turns out it's not a problem at all. It's not true. And also, not only was it single sourced, but the single source, it turns out, claims uh, or, or had never seen the documents. So it's a person who basically said, I heard from a guy that there's a thing that I saw that he saw that I didn't see. But, you know, yada, yada, yada. The Russians own Trump and Trump is Hitler. I mean, this, this is what the media does. They, they always go to the same place. They always go to the same conclusion. This is why CNN had to fire a number. I think it was two or three reporters uh, also on a on a fake Trump Russia finance story. And this is why you've had so many of these retracted, you know, BuzzFeed with their whole bombshell, which they haven't retracted, but they should have. That that President Trump suborned perjury via Michael Cohen, that was the and that that was going to come out. Yeah, This is just just lies. More lies. Why does the media get this so wrong? Why would Lawrence O'Donnell, a guy who is very wealthy, pretty famous, very wealthy. Why would he. uh, Fall in the same direction that they've fallen so many times in the past. You see, if it were and this is very important. If this were just the result of a good faith error. If this were just report, sometimes reporters get stuff wrong. That's what they want you to believe. The mainstream media wants you to believe that sometimes you just get stuff wrong. Well, if that's what it is, they would get stuff wrong that benefited Trump. They would get something wrong that went in Trump's favor or at least was neutral about Trump. You know, oh, we had to re- correct that report about this Trump related matter and but no, it's always things that that bash Trump, that hurt the president, that make him look weaker or worse or perhaps in, je- in criminal jeopardy. That's their favorite. Oh, Trump's about to get indicted. Now, there are two synergistic reasons why these falsehoods about Trump keep coming out from the media. One is that they... Desperately want it to be true, and therefore fall for it, right? Because they're they are true believers. Many of them that Trump really is owned by the Russians. They control him. They're any moment now. They're gonna, you know, Putin's gonna just pop out of the Oval Office. He's been you know hiding in a drawer in the desk the whole time. They believe that it's crazy, but they believe it. So as a result, whenever something falls into that category. Uh, there is a, just a leap that they make right away. Oh, this needs to be the, this needs to be the truth. This has to be the story. Okay, that's one part of it. And then the other part of it. Often it is the case that the lie, even though it will be inevitably disproven, the lie for the libs is worth it. If it bashes Trump, they think it's worth it. The hit they take to their credibility doesn't really matter because their audience doesn't really care if they're all that credible. They just care that they're hashtag resistance. The people who care about the lie are people like you and me, and we're not on their team anyway. So what do we matter? So as a result, you have these huge, breaking, bombshell stories that time and time again, are fake. And I would also want to know, at what point are we allowed to hold the media accountable for this and say that the circumstances of this are unacceptable? I mean, at what point are we allowed to say that they have so thoroughly destroyed whatever credibility they think they have that they shouldn't look at the American public and say, oh, believe us. I think we are already there. Um, but then again, the media has always got more room for crazy. Uh, speaking of crazy, CNN is still... We got MSNBC that's saying that the Trump had Russian oligarchs co-signing for loans. So that's one piece of this, which is interesting, fake. Then you have this story about... Um, Trump wanting to new hurricanes, which is that they have not backed out on this at all this week. Well, first, here's CNN. You know, CNN hears this and, and they love this because this brings together all of their this is like the greatest hits for CNN. Trump is crazy. Trump is dumb. He's going to destroy the world. Plus weather. You know, CNN's all about weather. The Weather Channel must get jealous sometimes.
4: Here's what Axis is reporting. During one hurricane briefing at the White House, Trump said, I got it, I got it, why don't we nuke them, (laughs) according to the source who was there. They start forming off the coast of Africa as they move across the Atlantic. We drop a bomb inside the eye of the hurricane and it disrupts it. Why can't we do that? The source paraphrased the president's remarks that, as we said, were... I mean, uh,
0: listen, it worked so, in Sharknado. He wants to give it an opportunity, give it a chance. It, it's not science-based. This all ties into what we were talking about in an earlier segment. We have a, a, the leader of the free world who does not believe in science. Stop But
5: let me him say this. That. I know Stop we're we're something else.
1: Well, I mean, the president of the United States is referred to as the leader of the free world, so they can try to act like that. So that this is a CNN panel, so there's really very few surprises there. Um, But look, this is another memorial. let's just say for a second the president did muse out loud about this, which I don't think is beyond the the pale of uh, or I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that he was like, wait a second, I got an idea. Sometimes people talk about some pretty crazy ideas. Sometimes people like to think outside the box. Uh, This one's way outside the box, but nonetheless. Notice how there must have been somebody in the president's inner circle. I mean, this president cannot trust people around him. There's always someone somewhere. Who thinks that they're going to they're going to earn those special points from mainstream from lib journos, and that'll just be oh so sweet? I don't know why people betray the uh, betray the president's trust as often as they do around him, but they certainly do. Uh, Speaking, of, but but the hysteria at CNN got even more uh, even more intense. You know, April Ryan was in the news recently. You may not have seen this. She was in the news because she was giving, she's now a, uh, I believe she's a CNN contributor and an NPR White House correspondent, and she was giving a speech in a in a public venue in New Jersey, and she has a bodyguard now, because, you know, I, I know so many journalists that get death threats, but, you know, there's some journalists that like to let us all know how their death threats are real, and now they need bodyguards. Uh, so she has a bodyguard that travels with her now, and she was, I, I read all the different variations of the story to try to get as much context as I can. She didn't like that her speech was being recorded by a member of the press who was there. She was giving a speech. It was open to the public. Or was in a public venue. And she didn't like that a left-wing journalist had recorded her speech. Now, guess what? She actually doesn't have the right to say I'm giving a speech in front of 150 people and you can't record it. She can say I'm not going to give the speech, but can't tell you you're not allowed to record it. It's not her house. It's not her venue. And then her bodyguard physically assaulted. Oh, you didn't hear about this story, probably, did you? Physically assaulted this left wing journalist, by the way, and and tried and took the camera out of his hands. And uh, and then threatened to escort him off the premises. So, you know, April Ryan is not saying she didn't give the order, but I don't know. This guy's working on her behalf. I can tell you this. If I were giving a speech and I had a bodyguard, which I'm not going to have a bodyguard if I ever need something like that. I'm going to have a concealed carry permit. But if I I have a speech and, uh, you know, I've got a bodyguard there for some reason, uh, I'm not going to allow that person to manhandle a member of the press because I don't want people to know what I said at a speech. So that's a little backstory about April, April Ryan recently. Here's what she thinks about uh, Trump and nuking hurricanes.
5: We're tongue-in-cheeking this, but this is the president of the United States saying something about that. And he brought in Africa as Angela. As we were talking during break, he's called Africa a whole nation. Um, it's well, actually a country, some of the countries. Africa is a continent and what part of Africa are you talking about sub-Saharan Africa where there are mostly black people this is just crazy there is a ripple effect that could happen for land sea for people if he did something like this
1: so here we are CNN panel discussing this and and somehow the the fact that Trump mentioned that hurricanes start off the continent of Africa is uh, there's 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 like a, a a racial component I mean this This stuff at CNN is just crazy. This is their panel analyzing what he says. MSNBC is reporting fake stories. CNN is saying crazy things. AOC is making a mockery of rationality and and science and the and like basic language. And we're supposed to put them in charge. They're supposed to be the ones that are in power. They'll do such a better job than Trump will. I mean I know this isn't a surprise to you folks, but i'm not I'm not seeing it that's putting it mildly That's putting it mildly. we will uh, get it, get into some talk on uh, the China trade stuff coming up that's that's uh, and then also uh, I'm going to take Beto to task a bit more because you know I enjoy I enjoy uh, verbally spanking the beto it sounded weirder than I thought it would. We'll be right back. It's made it very clear that he's
3: never made a suggestion like that. And I've never heard him make a suggestion like that. Uh, we, we've got a term for that sort of thing at the White House. It's called fake news. Fake news. And fake it just, it just it seems like not a day goes by that, that somebody in the media doesn't find something uh, to print or publish or put on the Internet.
1: Fake news. Even Mike Pence jumping on this one, saying it is, it is fake news. Indeed it is. I do not believe the president was really seriously thinking about nuking hurricanes, but here we are. You know what isn't fake news, though? And it's funny because it's quite a news story, and you'd have to look pretty hard to find it. It's not easy. You know what is fake news? Or, or is not fake news, rather? Nearly one of every three dollars here, according to the Washington Examiner. one of every three dollars spent on Ilhan Omar's campaign has gone to her alleged lover's firm. This was a report the New York Post broke on Tuesday. There's, a, uh, this is, there's divorce papers on this, so we know there's some some uh, proof of what is being alleged here. But here's what the Watching Examiner says. To be specific, a woman has claimed in court papers that her husband has been cheating on her Carrying on with married Representative Ilhan Omar. Omar's alleged paramour, this is Tiana Lowe writing in the Washington Examiner. She does some good stuff over at the Examiner. Omar's paramour, Tim Minette, has been a fundraising consultant for Omar's 2018 and 2020 campaigns. Omar hasn't commented on the accusation, but there's a possible uh, second scandal involving the more than $200,000 her campaign has spent with Mayanet's firm. So she may be a homewrecker, which now, uh, uh, okay, I, some of you are going to say, hold on a second, Buck, What are, are we now? The, we're not. I'm not saying we're the morality police, although the police do end up policing morality. That's a whole other conversation. But I'm not saying we're the morality police. I, I know we've conservatism, the Republican Party, they've made a bit of a, of a shift toward we want results, we want policy, we want to get it done. Let's let's not do what libs do. We're not going to live in fantasy land here and act like we're all about the, uh, the, the marital background and, and personal character of everybody that we put in elected office. I don't think I need to say much more about that. But this is a news story and I can tell you this if it were and you know what I'm going to say if it were a Republican and particularly a Republican male who was having an affair with a female political consultant and paying hundreds of thousands of dollars of donor money to that consultant the consultant is married the guy is married this would be front page all over the place but it's not front page you know why? Oh, well, that's right. Because there's a huge media double standard. We know that. You know, Dave Chappelle is back. I don't know how many of you like Dave Chappelle. I, I saw one of the very few comedians that I have ever seen uh, do live stand up. I've probably seen well, maybe about a half dozen live live comedy shows in my life. Dave Chappelle, though, uh, was was amazing. Jimmy Fallon, who's my uh, my buddy here from Fox News, uh, he he I saw him live, which was great. Yeah, but I, I saw Dave Chappelle when I was in college, and there was a time when he was really the the king of comedy in America. I think you could say it would be hard to dispute. And Dave Chappelle, when the Chappelle show was going, I mean, he was really at the very top of the uh, top of the profession. He's got a new Netflix special that is out, and I usually wouldn't be that excited about a Netflix comedy special, but this one I'm excited about because... All the lib publications out there are saying that it's nasty, it's punching down, it's offensive, you know he he's going after wokeness, so I might have to check that I haven't seen it yet producer Mark, have you seen it?
3: I have not, but I'm interested in it now. A, I
1: mean, let's I'm curious if you get a chance this weekend I'm gonna try to watch it too. We'll get your your take in mind I mean i'm I'm wondering I think it might be pretty pretty
3: good i mean
1: there's a there's a good chance that it's uh it's pretty funny. I mean, I I think Dave Chappelle, he, like the good thing about him is he's wealthy enough and he's famous enough that he can withstand some controversy. You know, one of the problems with the whole woke culture and cancel culture is that you, it's not just the people you hear about the big people who get in trouble, but it has a downstream effect on everybody else, right? I mean, you know, I you know, if I get in trouble people like me that are making their names, building their brands, I don't get to retire to the you know, the, the the mega mansion in, you know, Monaco and go play golf and tennis the rest of my days. like, you know, I, I got to figure something else out, right? It, so there's a much higher, uh, well, you can have a much higher risk tolerance, I think, as a creative, as somebody who works in, in media in any capacity when you're already at least very, very well-known and very, very wealthy. Doesn't mean that it's not immunity, but at least, you know, you got something to fall back on. So I'll, I'll be curious to see what Dave Chappelle... Comes up with in this comedy special. Um, usually, when libs are upset about comedy, it's a very good sign. <laughs> usually, usually not always. Usually, um, and then there's this other this other story. This is not uh, surprising, I suppose. You know, we we have all these fights about uh, history these days. I mean, the, the 1619 Project with the New York Times choosing the first the, the landing and the or the sale and landing of the first slaves here in America as the beginning of American history and then building all American history around that uh, which is an exercise in uh, historiography right I mean it's the rewriting of history for a for a clearly political purpose that's what's going on they are they're editorializing and at least we know they are they're saying we're gonna to pretend that this is the start of, of American history which is uh, not an enormous decision to make regardless but this is going to continue on uh they're going to judge the left will judge history through the lens of today and will try to rewrite the history of the past so that it is more in keeping with what they think the world should be now or with the way we should view heroes of the past through the lens of social justice and wokeness and all the rest of it and th- that's when I saw this story on NPR today. That's right. See, I read all the Lib stuff. I, I refer to the Libs, but keep in mind, I am very, I, I speak Lib. I'm very up on Libs. You know, I-, I live here in New York City, surrounded by them. I read their newspapers. I watch some of their television news. Not much, because I can only stomach so much of it, but I, I do. Um, here's what we know. Academic science... Or this is from today, from, from NPR. Academic science rethinks the all too white dude walls of honor. Anyone want to guess what this is referring to? Let me just take you into this NPR story. And, you know, this is going to be a problem that continues on. You see this with literature. But hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself. Quote A few years ago, TV celebrity Rachel Maddow was at Rockefeller University to hand out a prize that's. Given, uh, Hannah Prize given each year to a prominent female scientist. As Maddow entered the auditorium, someone over overheard her say, "What is up with the dude wall?" She was referring to a wall covered with portraits of scientists from the from the university who have won either a Nobel Prize or the Lasker Award, which is a major medical prize. One hundred percent of them are men. So it's probably 30 headshots of 30 men. So it's imposing, says Leslie Voss Hall, a neurobiologist with the university. Voss Hall says Maddow's remark and the word dude wall crystallized something that had been bothering her for years. As she travels around the country to give lectures and attend conferences at scientific institutions, she constantly encounters lobbies, conference rooms, passageways and lecture halls that are decorated with the portraits of white men okay so here's the problem that they're going to run into in the case of say scientific discovery uh discovery worthy of a nobel prize remember the nobel prize started by alfred uh, nobel became incredibly wealthy because figured out tnt changed the world uh the nobel prize for peace is a joke Right. Obama got it for being Obama. We all know that. But the Nobel Prize for science is still a real thing and you have to achieve something. There has to be a clear breakthrough that is tied to your research. You know, your work has to has to do something that other people could not do before. And if you're going to honor people for breakthroughs in science in the past that are real breakthroughs and we could all agree really matter, you know. It is going to involve a lot of white dudes. I don't know what the percentage is. I don't know how many women and how many minorities. If you were to go past, uh, go go and uh, go backwards and look at all the different Nobel prizes for Forget about the Peace Prize; it's a joke. Nobel Prize for scientific achievement. But this is also an issue when you look at the Fields Medal, which is given out, I believe, for I think math. It might be science as well. But there are other areas of math, science achievement where the left gets very upset and very uptight about it because there are simply to their minds too many white men. OK, well, that's called the history ...that they're looking at here of the Nobel Prize. What are we supposed to do about it? If, you know, if I'm looking at a portrait gallery of the kings of England... ...it's going to be a whole lot of white dudes. So so we, we only have a few options here. We can either not have portrait galleries meant to inspire people... ...and look, look at the breakthroughs of the past. I mean, there's a reason why these, these paintings are up in scientific institutions... We can either not have it at all, which is a, a whitewashing of, of history, or we can have what happened. But you see, what, what Libs are increasingly going to do is be caught in this. They're going to complain about it. But then they're going to say, well, we're not claiming that we should pretend people got awards they didn't. But then they're going to suggest that now, now people who shouldn't get awards should to balance out the past. I mean, it's just dizzying, folks. And they do this with literature, too. You know, a uh, library, you know, college uh, and, and high school reading lists full of too many dead white male authors. OK. Find me a non-white male that has a body of work that is in any universe similar to what William Shakespeare put out. And like, we'll happily read that. But, you know, the the facts are the facts. The past is the past. Achievement is what it is. And that this makes the left so uncomfortable is just another version of the identity politics obsession they have because Shakespeare and Mozart and the Nobel Prize for all kinds of science, that belongs to all of us. It belongs to humanity. Those advances are for all of us. It doesn't matter what color those people were. It's about the breakthroughs. It's about achievement anyway. We got more coming up. Oh, man, we got some breaking news to bring to all of you here. Oh, this is going to make producer Mike so sad. Turns out that Kirsten Gillibrand has dropped out of the race for president of the United States. Producer Mike, wipe away those tears. It's going to be okay. Do we think that she was probably a, a, a little bit bummed out that they didn't just coronate her the way they did Hillary. What, what, where, oh wait, we, she did give us this fantastic moment, though, if you remember. Gay yeah! Gay rights, she yelled out with a camera on her, ostentatiously, as though it wasn't just, you have to watch the video to really get it, you know? It's not what she said, it's the fact that she did it so just it's a, such a Gillibrand or Gillibrand uh, rather moment so there we have it um, indeed uh, so she's out producer Mike what do we think yeah Mike, Mike who do you got who's the next one that's gonna drop out of this thing
6: Um, I'll go with hmm that's there's so many either Beto but he may be not self-aware. no I think Beto's not self aware enough yeah I, I agree with that um
1: and no, neither's De Blasio by the good. De Blasio should have been out of this thing a month ago, but he's right. not. He's not gonna drop either.
6: Okay, like with somebody this who's a little obscure. Like I think uh, Yang might just see the writing on the My wall. Oh man Yang. Yeah, I think the Yang gang. Oh, you they think went, the Yang went, gang went is gonna come to a close? That makes me
1: sad. Yeah. I think it's gonna be Castro. Yeah, Castro. I, I think, think Castro is gonna. That guy's just he's got nothing. Klobuchar he's got nothing. She's... Oh, that's right, Klobuchar. Yeah, she's mm. hanging by a thread. Yeah, that's probably. Yeah, but it's time for some of them to uh, to winnow down the field uh it's time for some of these democrat candidates to drop out of the mix we'll, anyway, we'll see what goes on here so uh i i've also noted uh, earlier this week i had uh, an appearance on tucker show hosted by brian kilmeade brian's always very nice to me i appreciate uh brian having me on when he's guest hosting and you know we're talking about cities and this is a, a topic that I can tell libs never want to discuss L- later on this hour. We're going to get into the, uh, the the problems of of achievement. And it's only a problem because of the disparity in achievement, according to libs, between certain minority groups and and other ethnic groups in the New York City public school system. We'll address that. And liberals never want to change the approach. They, they never are willing to hear the other side. They they always think that they know best. And it doesn't matter to them. It doesn't matter to them what else um, one could bring to the table as part of the discussion. Uh, they also they they feel this way about a number of, a number of issues. There's nothing you can do to change their minds, and that's also true about crime in certain cities, right? They just think that the focus should always be on the police brutality or police misconduct. The focus should never be on the hundreds and hundreds of people getting murdered in some of these cities or the you know thousands of people being assaulted and attacked. And how do we stop that from happening? No, it's such an easy, a cheap, crowd pleasing, pandering thing for libs to do for their base to always focus on police misconduct first and foremost. And, you know, you know, Newt Gingrich addressed this in a sense, not just in the context of of. Uh, Police conduct, but more broadly, you know, in these major cities where Democrats are are in control, things are are deteriorating. And there are some cities that are real outliers in terms of the uh, public services and public health under real strain, crime going up. And Newt even went as far as to say that the institutional racism that is hurting black communities. Is largely attributable to the Democratic Party. Uh oh, Newt's picking a fight with Democrats here.
3: Why is it that after all these years, we're not able to have schools that work, we're not able to have neighborhoods that are safe, and that is disproportionately to the disadvantage of poor African Americans? And it is the leaders of the Democratic Party who run every single city yep. in which this is true. Now, if there's real institutional racism that hurts poor blacks, it's done, led by Democrats who run the cities that exploit the poor on behalf of the teachers' union and the city bureaucracy.
1: It is true that the city bureaucracies poorly serve the poor communities, and this, is, this will continue to, be the, uh, continue to be the case, and in fact... Uh, the public school system is really an instance of central planning and socialism. I know we don't like to think of it that way. We're led to believe the public school system is the beating heart of America's future and all that other stuff. But the public school system is a jobs program, first and foremost. I mean, all you have to do is challenge the benefits that adults get out of it, and you'll see the ferocious pushback versus the benefits that the children are getting or not getting. That's, they pretend that is the primary consideration, but that is overwhelmingly not The primary consideration. That's overwhelmingly not the case. So we see this happening time and time again. Newt saying that institutional racism is, in fact, the Democrat apparatus, because that is an institution. And there is a, a bigotry of low expectations when it comes to how those bureaucracies will interact with the predominantly minority neighborhoods of those cities. The bureaucracy seems... Allowed to poorly serve those communities. The bureaucracy seems like it doesn't ever have accountability. Newt went further on this because, you know, The New York Times is writing this series on 1619 and history of of really it's a history of racism, starting with slavery in this country. Here's what the Mr. Newt had to say about uh, racism more broadly
3: I think that uh, racism exists all over the world. Mm-hmm. I think that it is a perennial challenge when you have people of different backgrounds, uh, and you find it literally in almost every country in the world. Uh, I also think we have as great a danger. I noticed the famous New York Times 1619 article, uh, which is supposedly getting all of us to think about slavery. The author of that article couldn't resist attacking Asian American students for filing a lawsuit because they are being discriminated against. Yeah on behalf of african-americans so you tell me who's the racist in that setting it seems to me that author was being a racist in attacking the asian-americans who are simply saying Mm -hmm. hey if i get a higher score shouldn't i get into school what
1: is the lib answer to that by the way if if scores are what's determining who gets to go to certain schools and who doesn't and really keep in mind if it's not test scores what is it going to be it's going to be some committee that the state creates? That's just central planning. I mean, that's just social engineering. It has nothing to do with merit or ability or skill. But what is the liberal answer to this? They don't have an answer. Why should Asian Americans be discriminated against applying to, say, Harvard University, which we know is true, because they, quote, have not—it int- was something about their—I forget the words. It was something about they don't have— you know, they lack personality unquote in some of these applicants that's what that's what they're falling back on of these Asian American applicants that their personality traits were not interesting enough or something I mean which sounds real that's Harvard sounds real racist to me and also as this country becomes it is becoming more diverse all the time and we have all we have people that are are marrying outside their race in larger and larger numbers you have more and more biracial families across them it just this identity politics obsession that libs have it's just exhausting because one ultimately it runs into self-contradiction and two it forces you to do a lot of unethical things discriminating against somebody on the basis of race is a bad thing even if they are doing it because they think they're helping out another race it's still a bad thing libs won't get this through their heads but it's true we'll talk more about how this factors into the New York City public school system, you know, de Blasio, who's technically a candidate for the presidency, he's got uh, he's got himself involved in some of the stuff. We'll get into that. And oh, so much more, team, coming up here in just a moment. It is one of the biggest lies that they continue to tell about Trump. And I, I, I do feel this this mounting frustration because, guess what? There are plenty of ways that you can be critical of Trump. You can be critical of Trump as a conservative. You can be critical of Trump as a liberal. There are... Any presidency would have failings, and this one certainly has some failings. But one of the failings is not the president saying that he is uh, in favor of Nazis, that he's favorable to fascists, that neo-Nazis are okay or cool. That is not one of them. And Libs insist, absolutely insist on this lie. This is really a foundational liberal lie about Donald Trump. In fact, if you were to go around as a little social experiment, if you if you asked one of your very smug lib friends, how do you know that Donald Trump is racist? I guarantee you most of the people that are libs that you asked that to would say if you if you push them and, and said, well, what is the specifics? They would just say Charlottesville. Charlottesville is, you know, the same way that when people wanted to point out rightly how inept Hillary Clinton was a Secretary of State. They could just say Benghazi. Uh, If you want to prove that, but that was real, if you want to prove that uh, Donald Trump is a racist, what you say as a lib is Charlottesville. But here's the problem with it. And I I have read the transcript recently, numerous times, and watched that press conference again. He absolutely was not saying, and no honest person can say otherwise, he was not saying that there were good neo-Nazis. He was not saying that. And yet, you know, you will get shouted down by people. You will get yelled at if you point out that truth. Meanwhile, it's public record. You know, Libs can all pretend. They can all live in this fantasy land where they don't have reading comprehension skills. But if you read the transcript, it is clear and he was what he was trying to say. And then, so that there could be zero doubt, in the same press conference, right after the so-called good people on both sides moment... He said, I'm not talking about neo-Nazis. Those guys are the worst. What who's going around spreading this? All the Democratic candidates would they, they will say Charlottesville. This is when we talk about narrative, what we're really discussing, when we discuss when we're when we're getting into media narrative, we are addressing the fact that there are storylines that are for a that are created for a purpose. The media is telling a story, is constructing a story as activists. They want it to have a certain effect. You hear that story and you think a certain thing. And Charlottesville is a narrative. It is a construct of the media. And it is one that they will go to so many times over the next year, over the next 12 months, really 14 months, you will hear Charlottesville invoked as though it is It is gospel that President Trump is a racist. I'm here to tell you the people who are doing that either don't know what the heck they're talking about or they're liars. And here's one example of someone who I think is just a liar, a fraud, a desperate fraud. And that is the man that I said is the the worst of all the Democrat candidates in my mind. Beto O'Rourke, I mean, he should just give up, but he won't because he needs to at least get the press for going through all this stuff. He was confronted by a reporter about misquoting Trump in Charlottesville. And here is how Now, this is going to be a bit of a long exchange, but I I want you to hear it because what you what you're going to see is that Beto O'Rourke is a liar. And the media, they won't call this is a big lie, right? If if I tell you that I had three eggs for breakfast this morning when I actually had four because I was really hungry, that's a lie. But nobody cares. If I tell you that. I'm going to give you, you know, all the money I have. And then I give you no money. That's a lie that matters to you, right? I mean, these are these are straightforward things to understand. Here is Beto confronted about the big lie that he's telling
6: the President Trump after Charlottesville said that he condemned the white supremacists and the neo-Nazis totally are you aware that you're misquoting him or partially quoting him, not quoting the full extent of his remarks in Charlottesville? Are you concerned that that might inflame tensions rather than heal divisions?
0: No, I, I believe in, in the truth and uh, in being honest about what the President's doing. And it's not just that he referred to Klansmen as very fine people. It is that he attempted to ban all people of one religion from this country, or constantly warned of an invasion of killers and rapists. Wait, that,
1: that, that's also a lie. Okay, so, so he went from not even addressing the initial charge of the lie that he made, but then he goes and adds the lie about the Muslim ban. It's a few countries of the, like, you know, 50 Muslim countries in the world. And they're countries that were singled out for being safe havens or, or having particularly high levels of, of terrorist problem. But Beto just, li- he likes his lies. He likes his, his fake little stories about how Trump is basically
0: Hitler animals from central america and mexico though we know that they commit crimes at a far lower rate also a lie also a
1: lie wait wait i can't i can't when he says that they're animals this is another this is another liberal mythology making moment here folks trump was referring to ms13 gang members as animals people who rape and mutilate and kill their fellow human beings he was not referring to migrants or immigrants in general as animals Obvious, But notice, notice how many lies Beto throws out there right off the bat. Oh, where's all the Beto's a liar stuff from the media? Oh, you don't see that at all.
0: Why don't we get Wolf Blitzer on this one? He can look really confused. ...far lower rates than those who are born in this country. Um, This is a very coordinated attack on minorities in this country, on the most vulnerable and the defenseless for political gain for the president. And he knows full well that it not only offends our sensibilities as a country, it is leading to uh, violence and the taking of lives, as we saw in El Paso.
1: And then he just does, He just to, to finish the whole thing off, Trump is responsible for the government in El Paso. Why isn't Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders responsible for the government in Dayton? Does anyone ask Beto that one? Why isn't Bernie Sanders responsible for, the, for James uh, Hodgkinson, who tried to kill you know, nearly a dozen members, uh, conservative members of Congress because of health care? He was yelling, this is for health care, as he was shooting at them. Uh, is Bernie not responsible for that? Because he's the one that's saying that Trump wants to take away millions of people's health care, Republicans just want to watch people die in the streets from, you know, preventable disease and cancer. We're all so heartless, you and me. We're all, we're, all, we're so mean. We don't even have health care. No, we just pay attention to reality and understand that the free market works and central planning fails. And these self righteous, sanctimonious, left wing idiots like Beto aren't even good at flawed central planning. They they can't even do better than we would do at this, and yet they think that they should be in charge of everything. We got more of this Beto nonsense.
6: But he said he wasn't referring Sorry. to the neo-Nazis and the Klansmen. One last, one just a, just a clarification, he said he wasn't referring to the Klansmen as his very fine people, that he was referring to nonviolent protesters left and right.
0: He, he has um, openly courted the support of white supremacists Um, And and that's a matter of fact and and a matter of record. He has repeatedly, though given the opportunity, refused to disavow their support, I, I reference, and you can check the tape on this one, at a rally in Florida in May when someone says, shoot them, referring to immigrants, he laughs and he smiles and and he jokes about that. Um, if that is not a total failure of leadership and a total inducement to, to violence and hatred, I don't know what is. And then you can also check a rise in hate crimes in this country every single year that he's been a candidate or in office. And the fact in those counties can I, can I just I a to? Tri-
1: Okay, uh, You could also just chuck like, we're not, that's not who we are as a country, and we're just like, we need to help the poor and the needy, because Peto married a super rich family and likes to pretend like he cares about the common man now. Uh, a few things. They said that there was a huge rise in hate crimes under the Obama years because of all the racism against Obama. Uh, which this was just, this was a fantasy. The liberals created a fantasy of all, there's all the, oh, and Obama was subject to more death threats while he was president than any other president. Not true. This is just, this is just stuff that they just say all the time. Because no one checks in and no one cares. And now they're saying, oh, now there's a rise in hate crimes because of Trump. Anytime liberals are hearing something in public discourse they don't like, oh, there's there's a rise in hate crimes. There's a rise in hate crimes. Well, is there really? Well, it depends on how you gauge hate crimes. If you think that somebody tweeting out Oh my gosh! Someone made fun of my, you know, my hijab, or said something mean to me on the subway. If that's a hate crime, and now we're going to count that as a hate crime, well, yeah, you might see a spike because you're changing the way you count things. But this—I've read all this stuff from the Huffington Post and others about all the rise in hate crimes. It's not—it's just never true. It's just never real. And if there's a rise, it like goes from you know 200 to 210. The rise in hate crimes in this country. You know, I mean, everyone's anti-hate crime, but to pretend that there's some climate of terror that, that minorities and women and the LGBTQ community is living in now because of Trump, if, if they do feel that way, that's on them because the statistics do not bear out that there is a huge rise in hate crimes. But people are being terrified by the media that's telling them all these awful things are going to happen and Trump is coming for you and he's going to, you know, fascism and the, the concentration camps. That's what's making people worried. Notice how Beto never dealt with the initial charge in that whole, that whole monologue. What, what it really means is that Trump is a racist and he's undermining what is best in this nation, which is not ever accomplishing anything but being a sanctimonious jerk that the media is in love with because you're moderately appealing to middle-aged female voters. And then a lot of people are like, oh, he's going to be president. Uh, Beto, he's the worst. He's the worst. I just want to know that that was a uh, Breitbart reporter, Joel Pollack, who was the one who pressed so effectively Beto on his misquoting, his malicious misquoting of the president. And I, I see here that that uh, Joel over at Breitbart said that uh, Beto had him kicked out of the event, which is unsurprising. I'm sure Beto didn't like being asked real questions. We, we have so many people working in the press. Maybe they could ask a real question once in a while. I don't know. You know, maybe that would be a good thing. You know, just give it a chance. See, just see what that, see what that tastes like for a meal. You know, see what asking a real question tastes like. I'm just putting it out there. All right, switching gears here for a second. Uh, de Blasio is one of the other worst Democrats, as we know. De Blasio sucks. And uh, one American news network's Ryan Giderski uh, had this report on the possibility of De Blasio scrapping the talented and gifted program in the New York City public school system Here's how that went.
2: A high-level panel of education specialists selected by Mayor Bill de Blasio have released a recommendation that the largest school system in the nation scrap its gifted and talented program for students who are excelling academically because too many of them are white and Asian. The School Diversity Advisory Group, made up of dozens of people, including teachers, superintendents, and education activists, said that abolishing specialized education will allow for greater ethnic diversity in the classroom. The panel stated that gifted programs and specialized schools have, quote, become proxies for separating students who can and should have opportunities to learn together. This idea of getting away from gifted and talented and, and screened programs, it takes away the competition uh, among students where they, they strive to be the best in their class. They strive to get into a program that's considered exclusive. Uh, this plan basically falls flat. And it's, it's kind of like asking everybody to participate and you're going to get a trophy. That's not what this is about. We need to make sure that we inspire our students to, to work hard and strive for the
5: best that they can be.
1: All right, so here's the basics of it. I mean, this is a re- repeating problem that Libs have for their view of politics and education, specifically in New York City, where I'm currently coming to you from, right? This is where we're doing the show now. Freedom Hut NYC. You have this elite echelon within the public school system, including different programs and even entire schools for talented and gifted It's the largest public school system in America. And you have this uh, separation that occurs purely based on test scores. uh, And that's it. So it's supposed to be a a meritocratic system, a meritocratic system. It's uh, supposed to be a straightforward thing. And yet here we are being told that it is unfair because libs don't like the percentages of different ethnicities that get into these programs now quotas are a problem quotas are are found to be the supreme court has ruled against them for purposes of college admissions the way they get around that is they say well we have a holistic application process the problem with doing that in the public school system here in new york is that that would just obviously look like a quota because there is no holistic process for evaluating an eighth grader, and they, meaning that they could never spend the resources to have people sit there. All it is is test scores. Now, the problem, as Libs see it, is that you have too many white and Asian, and, and it's Asian dominated at the very top end, which is what really complicates matters because Asians are, by ethnicity per capita, the poorest major ethnicity in New York City asians per capita have a lower income in new york city than now asians uses as a very broad term at south asia east asia but asians have a lower per capita income than african americans or latino uh, latino americans so why is it that these asian students i mean i applied to stuyvesant high school which is by sat scores the most elite public school in the nation right i actually got in humble brag but i didn't go there Point is, it's over 70% Asian. Why is that the case? Libs don't have any answers. And it's it's this experiment that runs year in and year out, year in and year out. Keeps on being the case. It's not like an anomaly. Why does this keep happening? Libs don't want to talk about it. You know what they want to do? They want to tear down excellence in the public school system. de Blasio may or may not implement this program. The fact that he's even considering it, though, should, for anybody else out there, just be Evidence of how much libs in the name of a radical social justice based equality are willing to destroy the futures or, or at least damage the futures of those who are gifted, who are talented academically. That's not allowed. Excellence is suspect. Excellence is to be suppressed all of a sudden because the excellence doesn't manifest in ways that the social justice petty dictators of the school system here in New York and of the Democratic Party not just in New York but nationwide doesn't fit in with what they think is okay. They never look at the issue for what it is in the school system. They always just want, what do we we know? Central planning which always fails.
5: Just so you understand China wants to make a deal. Now whether or not we make a deal it's got to be a great deal for us. You know And I told this to President Xi, you're starting up here and you're making 500 billion a year and stealing our intellectual property. We're down on the floor, lower than the floor. You can't make a 50-50 deal. This has to be a deal that's better for us. And if it's not better, let's not do business together. I don't want to do business. Forget about tariffs for a second. We're taking in tremendous amounts of money. Forget that, I don't want to do business. Now. When I raise and he raises, I raise and he raises, we can never catch up. We have to balance our trading relationship at least to an extent. And they were unwilling to do that. And we'll never have a deal if that happens, but it's going to happen.
1: We're never going to have a deal, but it's going to happen. Which one? Which way are we going here? Our friend Derek Scissors is back. He is from the American Enterprise Institute, AEI. He is their guy on China, China economist Derek Scissors. Um, Sir, first off, Trump says China wants a deal, and then he says a bunch of other things. Now, I give him a, a fair amount of leeway for a bit of salesmanship, a little bit of bravado. I get it. What is he getting right in his posture here, and what should we actually expect is reality?
2: Well, I think he's right for the basic point, and a lot of people give him credit for this, including people who criticize him, including Democrats. Um, We needed to confront the Chinese about their trade behavior. We needed to do it a while ago, and and previous presidents, both Obama and Bush, failed to do that. Um, So he starts from the right point, and that gets to the thing he's saying about it's an unfair relationship, which means we need to get more in the deal. That's right. He's right. Um, I think, you know, you touched on where the problem is. Objectively, from American interests and both from you know a neutral third party, they'd say the U.S. needs to get more because China has been behaving like a bad trade partner. But the Chinese don't think that they they're they're very happy with the way things have been going. And the president has said correctly that they're trying to stall him. Um, the last president didn't want this. The president before that didn't want this. President Clinton didn't want this. Maybe they, if they wait till twenty twenty one, they'll get a different president and they can keep the unequal trading relationship. So the president's trying to do something that's worthwhile. But he seems quite unrealistic about it happening sometimes.
1: And how how is uh, how much is this really affecting the Chinese economy? Do we even have a good sense of that? I mean, I know people have been saying that the Chinese I, I've heard people that all they do is study this stuff. And they say the Chinese have been inflating their growth numbers for years and years and that it's all kind of a black box. And who knows what's going on? Is is this really biting China in a way where we might twist their arm and get them to say uncle?
2: Um, the Chinese are, are struggling economically, how much as you said, it's hard to tell because they don't tell the truth. but they're struggling economically because of their own choices. China is the second biggest economy in the world. Trade matters to them, but it doesn't it's not what drives their economy just like trade is not what drives our economy. Um, their choices that have hurt them are for you know wasting a lot of money on debt and, and not allowing uh, poor Chinese to own rural land so they can never get wealthy. Those are the kind of mistakes that are hurting China. The trade conflict with the United States, Is second to that. So we have some leverage. Uh, China needs U.S. dollars to finance its overseas activities, including the Belt and Road, which is a big Chinese diplomatic initiative. Um, So we have some leverage over them, but it's not what's causing the Chinese economy to weaken. And our leverage, because China's own choices are what drive its economy, our leverage is limited.
1: Now, I mean, Trump is saying we're going to get a deal. You had been on the show before a few weeks ago, and we talked about the possibility. Of a, a and not maybe an interim deal or a piecemeal uh, you know, incremental deal towards something essentially like we're not going to get everything but we might get something. What could we get that would allow Trump to declare uh, victory and or at least a short term victory and that would be meaningful.
2: Well, I think the thing the president has always wanted, um, which is different than what I want or some other China experts want, or even Ambassador Lighthizer, who's the United States Trade Representative, wants, we want China to change the way it, it runs its economy and does business. The president wants more U.S. exports, and we can get more U.S. exports. If we dropped our other demands or said, well, we'll start negotiating those or keep negotiating those later, and we'll come to an agreement later, and it was just about China buying, buying more U.S. products, we can have that deal. Um, so the question there is, how much does the president think is enough? Uh, the Chinese will buy more U.S. products. If we, stop te- if we don't insist that they stop stealing intellectual property, we can make a deal. But the president has to get enough to make it worth his while. And that's where we've been stuck. He wants a lot of export purchases from the Chinese, and they don't want to give him that much because they think sometime during the election he'll change his mind again.
1: Now, I mean, you mentioned Lighthizer. Lighthizer and Navarro, these are the guys that are generally talked about as the, the vanguard, They're the forefront of Trump's trade negotiation team with China. Uh, you know, Mnuchin's in there, too, obviously, Treasury Secretary. But Lighthizer and Navarro, well, Navarro's really considered, I guess, the ideological architect of much of what's going on here. Do you feel like those guys, one, do they are they basically right? And two, are they up for the challenge of trying to get a deal done with China?
2: Well, I would I would separate Lighthizer and Navarro. I've talked to both of them for what that's worth. Lighthizer wants, and it may be very unrealistic, but he wants the right thing, which is China to change, not just buy more U.S. goods, but stop subsidizing its firms, uh, stop stealing American intellectual property. Navarro is a is a standard protectionist. We've got a lot of them in the Democratic Party now. We have some in the Republican Party who just wants more U.S. exports and less U.S. imports. Um, So they're trying to get different things. Uh, And I would say that what Lighthizer is trying to get is more important, but it's also a lot harder. And what Navarro is trying to get, we could get, but it's not going to change that much because we still have to worry about the Chinese, for example, stealing advanced U.S. technology, taking over in telecom, hurting the U.S. military, and, and all the other things we worry about besides the trade deficit.
1: When the trade deficit comes up, uh, you know, this has been one of the ways that that Trump has really uh, hammered the point about China being so unfair. He'll say, you know, we're losing we're losing billions and billions. Now, it's not always clear if he's talking about billions and billions of intellectual property theft or if he just means that the trade imbalance is so many billions. But, you know, there are conservatives, I know, who argue, you know, you have a trade imbalance with your grocery store. Right. I mean, they'll say that doesn't matter what the trade imbalance is. You're a trade guy. This is what you do. What do you think?
2: Um, i don't care about the trade deficit by itself it's an outcome it's let's take the grocery store example if you're going to a grocery store because it's a great grocery store and you spend a lot of money there who cares if you get stuff and they get dollars both both sides are happy if the grocery store is selling junk or ripping you off they're the only grocery store in a hundred miles or they're lying to you about product quality or when you go in there you know some employee tries to steal your wallet that's the problem so the story with china is not the trade deficit by itself. It's that the trade deficit represents bad Chinese practices. They do steal American intellectual property. And what will happen is somebody here will, will have an invention or an innovation. The Chinese will take it. They'll start producing and they'll ship it back here. That's not trade we want because that's based on theft. They also subsidize their firms so that American firms can't compete with them directly because they'll get free land and free bank lending and so on. So those are the actions we need to focus on. The trade deficit we could have a big trade deficit with China. If they were a good trade partner, it wouldn't matter.
1: I see. Yeah. So it's, it's an indicator. The fact that the deficit's gotten so big is an indicator of some of the practice, the negative practices they're engaged in. But if, you know, if, if they were you know, as on the up and up as the Swiss or something, we'd be or, you know, the, the Singaporeans, we wouldn't worry as much.
2: That's right. I mean, we could be running a trade deficit. We're the richest country in the world. Uh, the Federal Reserve puts America's net national wealth at the end of last year at almost $100 trillion. Of course we're going to run a trade deficit with Mexico. Mexico is much smaller and much poorer. If we're happy with the way Mexico is behaving, for example, under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement that the president negotiated and is before the Congress, we shouldn't care about the trade deficit. With China, it's, it's, the trade deficit is coming in part out of the fact that they're stealing and they're illegally subsidizing. So trade deficits by themselves, Peter Navarro has got this wrong, but in the Chinese case, they're the biggest practitioner of bad trade behavior, and we do have to take them on.
1: And Derek, just real quick, I've been thinking, because you hear, you hear a lot of, of uh, you know economists and people that do forecasting uh, of this nature, that, that the biggest headwind the economy has right now is uncertainty over China trade. It seems to me that then that puts Trump in an interesting position going into re-election year, where... I don't think he's going to get a deal done. You've told me you don't think it's like he's not going to get a macro deal. He's not going to get a mega deal done. It might be a little piece here or there. But if he doesn't get a deal done, what's to stop Trump from, let's say, you know, next spring saying, you know what, forget this trade war thing for a while. Let's just focus on other stuff and then let the economy just rip for six or 12 months. I mean, is that doable?
2: Well, I mean, it depends on whether you think these people are right about uncertainty, right? Sometimes economists use uncertainty a little too freely from my uh, standpoint.
1: Yeah, it's like instability for geopolitical strategists. What do you say about a region that's suffering from instability? But go ahead.
2: Right. I mean, we could resolve the uncertainty. The president kind of threatened this briefly last week. Like he said he was going to order American firms to leave China. And then everyone was like, well, you can't do that. Well, maybe you can. And then he didn't follow up. And that created uncertainty. But, I mean, would it be better if the president really did order American firms to leave China? I mean, then we wouldn't have uncertainty anymore. But I don't think that would help. So I don't think the problem is, is uncertainty, this is a vague sense of uncertainty. I think the problem is in an election year, if the president is being attacked, attacked by say Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders as being soft on China, he could take very strong actions. Uh, and that's where people are worried. If the president were to say he doesn't have to he doesn't have to have a deal, he doesn't have to solve the trade problem with China, it's really tough to solve. But if he just said, Okay, I'm not gonna do anything more. He doesn't have to do it now, but at some point he said, I'm not going to do anything more until the end of the election, and we're going to take care of this in the second term. And that may mean bringing the hammer down on the Chinese. I'm not trying. I'm not saying I'm nice to them, but if if we could get a, a, a level of the president saying, this is it, you know, along the lines of what you're saying. He doesn't have to solve the China trade problem. He doesn't have to make a deal. He could, he could threaten them in 2021. But if he says, okay, for the next six months, we're not going to take any more actions on China – I think that would help uh, workers, uh, sorry, companies plan and benefit American workers. But what they really want, and this is why I'm skeptical of this argument, is long-term certainty. And I just don't think we can have that, right? We're in a situation now where we're changing our China relationship. It's not just Trump that wants that, a lot of other people too. And we're not going to figure that out, you know, this year or next year or maybe even in 2021. So if uncertainty is holding the economy back, it's going to be holding the economy back for a long time.
1: Derek Scissors of AEI. He's a China economist there. Check out his work at AEI.org. Derek, always appreciate your time, sir. Thank you.
3: Thanks for having me. All right, team, we'll be right back. But we have another profound example of what this election is really about. This is a contest for the soul of our country. This president represents a new harshness. But he's more than just wrong in the head. He's really wrong in the heart. America has always represented respect for law, but not at the cost of our humanity, not by doing what Trump wants to do to the needy. Yeah,
1: and if Trump doesn't agree, it's like he's going to have to answer to me. Like, if you listen to this show and you don't think that we should have an open border, I'm going to throw you down a flight of stairs. And you better not call me Fredo. Oh, bro, Cuomo. Uh, it's... Uh... Quite a thing to hear these CNN anchors who I I believe are still considered neutral, nonpartisan, unbiased observers. I I, I believe they are people that, uh, you know, were, we're supposed to take is in no way pushing an agenda. That is what we are told. And yet that is obviously not the case. I mean, you got... Fredo Cuomo, which I, I think everyone now calls him Fredo Cuomo. You, you learn this stuff in high school. You all, you all know this. If you tell, if you tell the bully that you are uh, hating, you hate being called a certain name. That's going to be your name for the rest of rest of junior high. You know, everyone knows this. When kids used to say Buck, Buck, Bobuck, Buck, Fanana, fana, I used to have to say, Yeah, that's funny. I like this game. And they would call me Sexy Sexton, which used to happen all the time, which was very annoying. Yeah, sexy Sexton. Now I'd love it. If any of you want to call it and call me Sexy Sexton, by all means. But when you're like eight, you just know someone's making fun of your name, you don't like it. You don't tell them to stop making fun of you with that name because, of course, then they're going to do it more. So he's just Fredo Cuomo. When I bring this up just to note that the, the moral imperative – of voting against Trump, according to the Libs. A moral imperative is the one that I think you have to look very clearly... Uh, you have to be prepared and with clear eyes understand that this is going to be one of the main threads they use against Trump. I'm, look, I'm seeing... I am seeing uh, what's going on right now with the polling. and uh, First of all, Biden... Uh, it turns out you know, the Monmouth poll looks like it was an outlier, but yeah, it's great. You got a slow news cycle this week. See, no one else will tell you it's a slow news cycle. I'll tell you it's a slow news cycle. I mean, you've already figured that out, but that's why in all these different channels, they're like, "Hey, we gotta we gotta talk about uh, some stuff." You know, they don't really have much much to much to go on. Um, but you know, I, I try to always let it be known that we can deep dive into anything we want to deep dive on, regardless of what the uh, the, the people running the different newsrooms say and and on the Biden poll that came out that showed that Elizabeth Warren was actually, I think, tied or right ahead of him. It looks like now that's not the case. Biden's still in the 30s. Warren's in the high teens. Uh, Bernie's in the in the high teens, I think, as well. Uh, so it looks like Biden still has this really commanding lead. And I've also seen the polls that say that Biden would be Trump by nine points. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what to say other than I just don't believe it. I don't believe it. I Meaning that I don't think that if there was an election tomorrow, uh, Joe Biden would be able to beat President Trump because of stuff like, oh, I don't know this.
3: You know, we're in a position now where, if you think about, it, he just came back from the
5: GA. I'm going to say something that it will not take as much time, but it's going to sound too self-serving. If I have any expertise, it's American foreign policy. It's what I've done my whole career. It's what I've devoted my academic and my political existence. to.
1: Yeah, so notice how he starts out saying the G8. Funny thing is, it's not the G8 anymore, Joe. The G7, which a normal person could make that mistake and nobody would care, but you're literally telling everybody in that sentence... That you're, Or in that paragraph of, of your little monologue there that you are uh, an expert in foreign policy. Well, if you're going to be an expert in foreign policy, the huge foreign policy meeting last week, you should probably know the name of it. And notice he didn't stumble and then change. That happens all the time. I stumble and have to correct myself and I do. He just didn't know. And then he forgot something else that might be even more to the point here.
5: Because they invaded another country and, and annexed a significant portion of it called Crimea, right.
3: he's saying that it was President my boss it was his fault.
1: President my boss saying it was his fault. Mike, what was he trying to say there?
6: Um, I think he was trying to say President Obama, and he forgot his name.
1: President my boss i mean i'm gonna put this out there if you were the vice president for eight years i don't understand how there's some names you can forget you know i don't think that you can forget the name of the guy that you were serving under for eight years of your life who was also the leader of the free world and let's be honest one of the most famous people on planet earth which is why he's now got a 15 million dollar beach house in Martha's Vineyard, right? I mean, let's let's be honest
6: about this. This is one of those ones where the video does it so much more justice. Can you, I you know. you can see he's just lost when he he did he did truly forget Obama's name. Yeah, they're going to have to bail
1: on Biden, folks. I don't care what the polls say. I'm going to keep telling you this. Team, we got a special treat for you today, a hot new author who has been burning up the charts. Gosh, it sounds like I'm a DJ in the 80s, but he has been doing very, very well with his book. It just came out, Stand Down, How Social Justice Warriors Are Sabotaging America's Military. Just go on Amazon, type in Stand Down, and you want the book that has a a, uh, spent cartridge with a daisy in it, not some, some novel by some other dude. James Hassan is the author who joins us now. He's a former Army officer, Afghanistan vet. Combat veteran James Hassan. Great to have you on, sir. Hey,
7: it's great to be here, Buck. Thanks uh, for having me.
1: All right, so so the book covers fantastic. Tell me a bit about how social justice warriors are sabotaging America's military.
7: Absolutely. So I wrote Stand Down because during my time in the Army, which spanned both of Barack Obama's terms as office, I watched social justice warriors impose a progressive agenda on the military that weakened the military's ability to fulfill its sole mission which is simply to protect all of us by preparing to fight and win the nation's wars. And there were changes that took place across the entire military at all levels and across all branches. Uh, So for one particularly egregious example would be that I think most Americans would be shocked to hear that at the Naval Academy, there are now safe space signs outside instructors' doors, uh, not all but, but a lot, that, among other things, say that the instructors have taken a sensitivity course called Trans 101, put on by contractors from Google. Um, and that is egregious because, as you and I both know, there are no safe spaces in Afghanistan. And the Naval Academy is preparing to you know, send men and women to lead sailors and Marines. And they don't want a safe space. Nobody goes to the Naval Academy for a Safe Space. But uh, it's part of, kind of that creep of the, the social justice, progressive agenda of identity politics, just moving into the military.
1: So so transgender transgender justice within the general rubric of, of social justice, that's now being taught in, in the military. I mean, I'm sure people are going to say, you know, James, and there will be critics of your book. There'll be critics of any book, especially people who can never write a book themselves. And they're going to say, oh, but does this really do anything bad does this really hurt readiness and I just want to know what you say to that
7: what I'd say is is absolutely because first of all we're focusing on things that aren't our priorities but second of all what we're doing is we are replacing concerns about social justice concerns above and prioritizing them beyond simply focusing on preparing to fight and win wars And you can go through, you know, the litany of policies that the Obama administration imposed, whether you're talking about uh, the the transgender policy that allows soldiers to serve according to the physical readiness of their biological sex or of their gender identity versus their biological sex, um, which has a big impact simply because, for example, there are specific body composition standards for males and females, according to basically just designed around biological differences between males and females. And a 18-year-old female soldier with 21% body fat is considered fit for duty, but an 18-year-old male soldier with 21% body fat is considered a liability and is non-deployable. But under the Obama administration's policy, since Reversed or since modified really by the Trump administration, you could have an 18 year old soldier with all the characteristics of a male soldier, but who identifies as female and has 21% body fat and is considered deployable when that soldier otherwise would not be. Um, but there are changes you know that gotcha so a so
1: yeah somebody could be a liability on the battlefield because they're being judged as a biological female when they're actually a biological male and that, exactly that, that, that's exactly. the problem that's,
7: in, in a nutshell there it is
1: where, where are you james i'm sure you get this a lot where are you on uh women in four deployed combat units
7: well so i think the term women in combat is this triumph of orwellian phrasing from the left because nobody has ever said that women are somehow constitutionally incapable of being in combat uh You know, female Apache pilots, for example, kill jihadis with 50-millimeter guns that are synced to their helmets. Uh, Really, what we're talking about is 3% of the military, a very, very small subsegment infantry units that have to put up to 100 pounds on their bodies and walk for 12 miles and then potentially get in a firefight at the end of it. And so when the Obama administration was taking a look at reversing this policy. The Marine Corps, and then I interview one in my book one of the, the chief architects of the Marine Corps study, but they put together a year-long study measuring every last little detail you could possibly measure. And then they concluded that the all-male squads, all-male infantry squads, were more effective 78% of the time, and that it took... 176 percent longer for the mixed gender squads to do something like evacuate an incapacitated marine from a burning vehicle and when you're talking about you know when seconds matter minutes can be deadly but the obama administration circumvented all of that uh, by pointing to the success of a few female graduates who went to army ranger school and that's actually a huge part of my book because after those graduates, you know, successfully completed the course. The Obama administration used that as the reason why the Marines were misguided, and they overruled the Marines. But a whole lot of whistleblowers came forward, and they told a member of Congress that standards at Ranger School had not been followed, and that they had been pressured to pass these female graduates. And Steve Russell was a member of Congress, and he asked for all of the training records from the Obama DoD for that course. And the Obama DoD told him that all of the records had been shredded and they refused to meet with him. And it turns out that the whistleblowers were telling the truth because I, I obtained a lot of those documents and I published a lot of them in my book from Ranger School of Sources. And they show that standards weren't followed and they were pressured to passing these graduates
1: what do you think is coming next in these battles to social justice eyes the military
7: i think uh if you take a look overseas the uk military the australian military are you know one or two steps ahead of us in this process so they've eliminated even the title of man from all you're no longer an infantryman you're an infantryer. uh you you know, They have quotas for the number of positions in the infantry that must be female, must be male. And all of this comes back to this idea of there's a fundamental question that should be asked before we engage in any kind of military policymaking, and that is, does this help us win wars or not? And that's the standard that General Kelly uh, has thrown out a number of times and General Mattis endorsed. And if the answer to that question is yes, then we should do it. And if the answer to that question is no, then we shouldn't. And if the answer to the question is maybe, then we shouldn't do it because it might hurt.
1: All right, everybody, get the book. It is by our friend James Hasson. You should pick it up right now. Stand Down, How Social Justice Warriors Are Sabotaging America's Military. James, thank you for your service. Thank you for your book and your time, sir.
7: Hey, thank you very much, Buck. I appreciate it. All
1: right. Good luck, my friend. Team we'll be back with Roll Call.
2: Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11.
0: It's time for Roll Call. Alright,
1: Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. We got kind of a shorter roll call today. I wanted to give my man James Hassan plenty of time. I think I was the first person to ever put James on TV. We put James on TV at Hill TV in the first month we did it. I was like, that's that's a talented fellow and a patriot, and I like him. So we had him on TV. And uh, Let's get to it. Uh, well, you already know how to get to this. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Jeremy. Jeremy Spoken. That's, that's like you know what I'm talking about, at least. It wasn't the worst. You like Pearl Jam. Who doesn't like Pearl Jam? If you like the 90s, you like Pearl Jam. There's really not a lot of dispute about this.
6: Yeah, but Vedder went off the reservation, man. Which one? Eddie Vedder went off the reservation. Oh, he did? Oh, man. He's hardcore left. Uh, they he all talks are. about it during concerts and stuff. It's an-
1: they all are. Because conservatives have to live in reality. It's not fun to live in reality. And if you're a spoiled, if you're spoiled by... Getting very lucky in life, being an entertainer, making millions and all this stuff. Chances are you probably are like, yeah, I want to live in fantasy land forever. Jeremy Red's looking for TV series recommendations. I watched the X-Files when I was younger and it used to freak me out. Now at 40, I like it. One series to consider is the original 1950s Twilight Zone. They are 30 minute standalone episodes, about 100 episodes over four seasons. Some are cheesy, but they will keep you thinking until the end. I don't know if I've ever. What is the? I I believe John Lithgow was in a Twilight Zone movie where there's a gremlin on the window or on the uh, wing of a plane, right? That scared that scared the the you know what out of me yeah. when I was a kid. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah,
6: I, I do. I think that was,
1: well, we're coming up on Halloween here pretty soon, so we could talk a little more about scary movies. But that was, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I was like, oh man, if I were to play and I saw a little gremlin ripping apart the wing, that would really freak me out for sure. That and the movie uh, Cat's Paul? Cat's Eye? I don't know. It was a Stephen King thing with like a little gremlin that is also a little gremlin that runs up and takes the breath away from a girl when she's sleeping and the cat's the only thing that defends it. Look, I, I watched a lot of like in October on WPIX 11 here in New York. They used to play all these old bad horror movies. And when my you know mom or babysitter weren't paying attention, I was like, yeah, I want to watch this. Critters, another one. You Remember Critters? Yeah, I with do. like the little porcupine-looking um, aliens that shoot the spikes at people. Yeah, that movie's fantastic for what it was. I mean, super cheesy. Oh yeah,
6: but it is what it is. Those, right. those movies make tons of money, man. Those horror movies as a That's genre, like genre do very genre. well. Yeah, they
1: do very well because people don't care if it's, you know, the you you know what did inc- very well as a movie because I've been talking about the series on Chernobyl. There is a Chernobyl Diaries movie that came out some years ago. Oh, yeah? That's like zombies in the Chernobyl, you know, fallout area basically. That's not cool. spoiler alert, <laughs> but I'm gonna t- it, dude, it's a good it's like a good watch. Yeah. But they filmed it in a in an abandoned town near the Chernobyl reactor yeah. and uh, and people got very upset about it. They were not yeah. pleased, but most that can of, happen. Most of
6: them are really cheap to make and make tons of money.
1: I, I've been talking to my brothers for years about we had a, we even had a venue picked out that was a former it was a former insane asylum in upstate New York we're like we're gonna make a great movie there anyway yeah I mean if you have ever seen it's now been cleaned up and really nice but for years and years the Harlem Valley Psychiatric Center in Harlem Valley New York it was eighty eighty abandoned buildings including a prison prison with like the razor wire and you know, all the stuff around it and it, it had just been left to. Left to rot for like forty yeah. or fifty years. Any, anyway.
6: Go to any Democrat city, you'll find tons of abandoned buildings.
1: That's a, that's a good point. If I want to find a, a place to make a scary movie, I just find a place where Democrats are in charge. John writes shields high, real news fan. I guess John, you mean since real news? It's been a, oh no, no. I I read a very old message there. My bad. Shields high, you're missing the best and most important show ever created in the history of the known universe. It's called Penny Dreadful. It was on Showtime, but it's on Netflix. Stop watching everything and dive into all three seasons. I'm curious how you will analyze it, John. I thought Penny Dreadful was excellent. I loved it. producer Mike. Have you seen that one? No, dude. Put that. Put that in the queue. It's a uh, didn't get a lot of press. Didn't get a lot of attention. It's very, very good. And it you know it's a new take on some of your old favorites, uh, Frankenstein, Dracula. Uh, Wolfman, but it's it's very cool. It's very it's very well done. I would I would recommend that. So John, I agree with you, but I've already seen every single episode. Although I will say, the Dracula season dip- disappointed me. Dracula should have been better than it was. Casey writes, uh, evening buck." The term used when one NASCAR driver stalks behind another lead driver is called drafting. Very good technique to not only conserve fuel but eventually create momentum to pass. Shields high and semper fi. Casey, my man, thank you. That is exactly what I was looking for, drafting in NASCAR. That's what I meant. Uh, so you, you nailed it, and now I will hopefully, going forward, always remember that that is. And I met a, a NASCAR driver at a, uh, at a house party not long ago. He's a great dude. I don't remember his name. But he was really nice. He told, I asked him all these stupid questions about NASCAR because I don't know very much about it. He was very patient and very friendly. A young guy, too, like 25. Buck, great show yesterday. A great TV series from Italy that's worth watching is Gamora, subtitled but addicting. Julia, I have heard that is an excellent show about the *Cosa Nostra*, the Italian mafia. Yeah, I've heard. Producer Mike is more a fan of the Irish mobster movies, you know, like uh, *The Departed*. And <laughs> I do like that. what's the one with the West of, uh, State of Grace with? Uh, you know, that's what the Westies here Jean in the right. Sean Penn, Jean Jean Penn one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's
6: good.
1: Yeah, those Irish guys, man, back in the day, they could get they could get frisky. Yeah. Craig Yellow so, Wow, everyone's writing in with T V Rex. It's like a good week for this, though. You know, the news is kind of meh. How many times can the you know what's going on right now? All these media outlets are just running the Is there gonna be a recession? The next day like, We don't think there'll be a recession. The next day like,
3: is there gonna be a
1: recession? They're just just trying to monetize those clicks, my friends. Just trying to get As much attention as they can when there's not all that much going on. This is one of those weeks where you also are reminded that news is a narrative. It is not an objective recounting of what is going on in the world. It is whatever the journos are reporting on at any given time. Because right now the journos are in the Hamptons. They're in uh, Nantucket, Martha's Martha's Vineyard. Uh, Very fancy. So that's why there's less news. Let's see here. Uh, we're getting, everyone's writing in about shows. Misty, if you're looking for a new cop show, may I recommend The Blacklist? It's FBI, but still, it's literally the best show on TV, and five seasons in, it never wavers shields high. You got Mark or Mike, you guys got one on this? Uh, you ever see this before? Great show. Great show. Really? Good show? James Bader. He's awesome. He is awesome. You know who has been... Uh, said to look like young James Spader <laughs> you yours truly really oh yeah many times many times some of the uh the gen some of the gen x ladies you know back in the day you know they are
6: uh, lucky saying it's young james spader cuz he's not no, old james no, be, he's no, old this no. can be right now, look so. i haven't been I in the gym as much in
1: the last month or two as i want but i am not old james spader yet let's not get crazy let's Not nom. there are rules. All right, everybody, thank you so much for hanging out with me as always. Back in the hot seat here in the Freedom Hut tomorrow. I will talk to you then. Shields high.